everything comes down to love Then just what am I afraid of When I call out your name Something inside awakes in my soul How quickly I forget I'm yours I'm not my own I've been carried by you all my life Everything rides on Well, good morning, Transit Church. How's everyone doing today? We good? Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if I haven't met you yet, if this is your first time tuning in with us on the live stream or in person with us, uh, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, as that bumper showed, we're continuing our series going through 1 Peter slowly but surely. And uh, today we're going to be in 1 Peter 2, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. So if you have your Bibles, turn them on or turn there to that passage. That's what we're going to be looking at today. If you have been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that what we've been looking at, a major theme of what we've been looking at, is how we, the church, have been redeemed by Jesus to proclaim the goodness of our Redeemer, to proclaim His excellencies and His worth and His goodness, not our own. We have been redeemed to be a proclaiming people. And what we've been looking at, what we've been looking at these past couple of weeks, is how that proclamation is both in word and deed, in both uh, 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 both a declaration of the goodness of God and a demonstration through our good works of who God is and what our Jesus is like. We're to show them what Jesus is like with our good words and tell them with our mouth. And um, today, our text is a fun transition where for the next three weeks, we're going um, from, from 1 Peter 2, 13, all the way to the middle of chapter 3. Peter is kind of going from the broad to the specific application of what good, honorable conduct is supposed to look like for the believer in Jesus Christ. And so if the first century church were to ask Peter, how can we, right, who we're now the temple of God, God dwells in our midst, we are God's royal priesthood, we exist to worship and serve God, how can we as sojourners and exiles, those who have been saved out of this world, we're no longer of this world, but we're sent to this world, how can we, Peter, in the first century early church, bring glory to God in how we conduct ourselves while facing persecution? And Peter would answer, in our text today, I believe Peter would answer them by saying this, glorifying God looks a whole lot like humble, Christ-like submission to and honor for the God-ordained authorities in the world. Let me repeat that. Glorifying God looks a whole lot like humble, Christ-like submission to, and honor for the God-ordained authorities in the world. So Transit Church, guess what we're talking about today? We're talking about politics, government, and submitting to our governing authorities. Who here is excited about that message today, right? Woo, yeah. Who wants to be in my shoes today? No one, right? I feel like I'm dancing in the minefields up here. Anyways, um, that's what we're going to be talking about. Quick disclaimer here, if you're new to the transit, uh, I did not choose this topic uh, to, uh, to speak on. What we do at the transit is we preach primarily through 
uh, books of the Bible. We want to preach the full counsel of God. And so, because we want to be a people who are uh, subject to and under the submission of God and his authoritative word. And so when we're going through and preaching through books of the Bible and we come across things that might be controversial in the 21st century, we don't skip those parts. We seek to um, rightly and accurately interpret and apply those parts and then submit our lives to God and his word. Okay, so that's what we're venturing to do today. Uh, and with that said, let's read our text, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive in. So read out loud with me, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you uh, grateful that we live in a nation where we, as your people, can gather freely without fear of arrest, uh, without fear of physical harm or persecution or exile, Lord Jesus. So we thank you for our nation and the freedoms that we enjoy uh, today, Lord God. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would, uh, one, you would, you would search our hearts for any, any rebellion or lawlessness in our hearts that just squirms when the word submission enters our minds. Holy Spirit, would you show us what it's like to be like Jesus? Would you teach us today what it's like to be Christ-like, to honor those in authority and to submit to them in a Christ-like way today? Holy Spirit, would you anoint my mouth? Anything that is not true, anything that is unwise, would you keep me from saying, Lord Jesus? And would you, I just be a vessel of you, Holy Spirit, communicating your word and your truth to your people. So Holy Spirit, have your way. Teach us and convict us and shape us into the image of Jesus as we come humbly before you and we come humbly under uh, in subjection to you, Jesus, and to your word today. We need you. We need your help. And I pray, Jesus, that you would magnify in our lives and our hearts today and that uh, up here I would, I would decrease and be forgotten. And we love you, Jesus. And it's in your, na- your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, hey, to start my talk this morning, I'd like to briefly discuss kind of the spectrum of heart postures and attitudes towards our nation and our governing uh, authorities in America today, okay? So quick disclaimer, listen, I'm not trying to go out of my way to offend anyone who's watching or anyone for t- today. I'm actually, what I'm about to share, I believe is helpful uh, because I believe that contrast is the mother of clarity and that if I'm to talk about the spectrum here of attitudes towards uh, governing authority today, that it will help amplify the beauty of what Jesus calls us to, okay? So here's the spectrum. You all ready? Maybe, everyone, oh man, it's tense in here. Uh, here's the spectrum. On the far, far right today, I'll call it nationalistic veneration. And on the far, far left, I'll call it Marxist rebellion. Talking about the spectrum of what is the correct, accurate attitude and posture towards our nation and our governing officials. Nationalistic veneration, Marxist rebellion all the way over here. Anyone triggered right now? Okay, maybe you are. Just don't cancel me yet. Just wait till I'm done, all right? Um, 
nationalistic veneration. I believe on the far, far, far right, uh, nationalistic veneration would say that the correct posture we should have towards our nation is reverence and worship and awe. Some in this camp might, I'm not saying they do, some in the, this is all hypothetical, right? For the sake of illustration. Some in this camp might believe that America is God's chosen holy nation, his royal priesthood, his people for his own possession. And because of that, America has never been guilty at any point in its history of any wrongdoing or oppression whatsoever. Those in this camp might also believe, might, I'm seriously not trying to offend anyone. I'm just, this is all for the sake of argument. Those in this camp might believe that the current president of the United States is God's messianic deliverer and rescuer of this nation. And not just that, not, it doesn't stop there, but also the rescuer and deliverer of the church in America today. So the command to honor the emperor that we just read has been replaced with the worship of and a trust in the emperor for our salvation and our protection. So I want to take a quick moment, commercial break from my argument, and take a moment to say this. The church of Jesus Christ has one savior. The church of Jesus Christ has one shepherd. The church of Jesus Christ has one protector, one deliverer, one savior. His name is Jesus. And no matter what happens in November, he is going to shepherd his flock. And his kingdom will advance across the face of the earth, no matter what. Okay? Amen? Let me just go on the record and say that. So if we're on the far, far right and, and, and we, we're in the nationalistic veneration camp, um, then the correct, uh, one might believe in this camp that in light of everything I was just said, an American citizen's heart posture towards their nation should be unconditional, absolute obedience and reverence and allegiance, no matter what, okay? Now, if we're gonna, now let's, if you were offended over there, now let's talk about the Marxists, all right? So on the far, far, far left, you have uh, what I would term the, the camp of the Marxist rebellion. And they, they might, someone in this camp might believe that the correct attitude towards this nation and our governing authority should be disdain, hatred, division, like, like uh, disdain, uh, a revolt and rebellion. Basically, the Marxist believes uh, the polar opposite of everything the nationalistic, you know, worshiper of the nation believes, all right? So just everything I said, just believe the polar, insert the polar opposite for the Marxist, the, 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 the Marxist rebel. The Marxist rebel believes this nation, again, this is hypothetical, might believe that this nation has been guilty of horrific atrocities and oppression from its founding to today, and, 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 and even more than that, that there is not an ounce of good in this nation at all. But there's nothing good or redeeming. There's no redeeming qualities. There's no good at all in this nation. And in light of that, because this nation is evil, one's posture, the correct posture towards this nation and our governing authorities is to be disdain, disobedience, rebellion, and maybe even violent revolt. Because if you're a good Marxist, the ends always just, the means always justify the ends. If you're a good Marxist, we need to tear down the old oppressive system so we can usher in the utopia. Okay? Those on the far left might believe that. The far, far left in the Marxist rebellion camp, okay? So equal opportunity offender up here, although I'm not trying to be offensive. So to summarize the spectrums of attitudes that, if you've been on Facebook for more than like 30 seconds today, I think you've seen the spectrum, right? It's just me. Am I just seeing this? And then you're like, I think we've seen the spectrum. Okay, I think that's fair. So the far right is 
Uh, America is all good, never guilty of evil. Therefore, you know, we worship, we pledge allegiance unconditionally to, you know, whatever the far, far left is, no allegiance, no honor. This nation is all evil, no good, so on and so forth. And by the grace of God, Christians, we have a far better option than those two. As a follower of Jesus, we have a much better option than those two options. And those two options are, are really the only options that are presented to us from is what it seems like in our culture today. You're either this or you're this. If you're not this, then you're this. And if you're not this, you're this. And I'm like, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus, okay? And that takes me, that takes all of us out of the spectrum. And there's only, there's not a third option for us. There's only one option for us. And it's submitting to Christ and his word today, which says this, right? Oh, I don't, I, yes, which says this, verse 13, 14. I'm at the right place in my notes which says this, Peter says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. It is so important for us to understand the historical context uh, of when this letter was written, what was happening, uh, and who was being written to, and, and everything. So the time of, because uh, it, it helps us understand that what Peter is saying here is not, I don't think it's as nearly as controversial today as it was in the first century, okay? The time of Peter writing this, guess who was uh, the Roman emperor? It was Nero. Nero reigned from uh, 54 to 68 AD. There are kids present, my kids present. I can't actually tell you what Nero did to Christians. Quick Google search will tell you it wasn't good. It was, it was really bad, really bad, okay? That was the emperor the church was commanded to honor in this text. And not only that, the very author of 1 Peter, the apostle Peter, would later be put to death as a martyr under Nero's persecution. Is that crazy? The author of what we just read is saying, honor the emperor, and that emperor would later put him to death for, for his faith, for being a Christian, okay? In addition to that, first century Roman rule was completely authoritarian and nothing like we see in our democratic republic today. Completely authoritarian. The Roman state had absolute rule over the people. It was the sole duty of the citizen. Uh, uh, the sole duty of the citizen was absolute obedience to the state and reverent worship of the emperor divine. A modern day example of that would probably be North Korea. Authoritarian state, deification of the emperor, we worship him, and uh, the brutality and the oppression that you see from the top down. So in that historical context, that's what Peter tells the church, and he says, be subject to. Be subject to. What that word means, be subject, it means to submit to or yield to governance and or authority. And that verb is kind of in the passive, uh, passive voice. So we get a further sense when Peter says be subject as, as this is what it means. It means to place oneself in voluntary subjection to the will and the authority of another. To place oneself in voluntary subjection to the will of another. Uh, not I'm outside of your authority. I'm actually placing myself under your authority. That's what it means to be subject to. I am willfully, voluntarily placing myself under your uh, uh, the authority of our governing officials. So a simple definition of what Peter is telling the church is this, is Christians, early church, be good civil servants and obey the law of the land. 
Why does he say that? Verse 15, because it's the will of God. Verse 15, you want to know what the will of God is? Oh God, if you just tell me your will, I would obey it. Just tell me, should I move here? Should I go there? Should I invest here? Just tell me what the will of God is. First Peter 2.15 tells you what the will of God is. Amen? This is the will of God. This is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We talked about this last week. The will of God is that his people would be devoted to good works. That, that, that people would shine brightly for Jesus. And one of the ways we do that is we're good citizens. We're good citizens. Why is Peter saying this where he is saying it? Why is Peter giving this command in the literary context of where he's giving it? Why is this command come in 1 Peter 2, 13? Well, what happened in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12 last week? What did we, what did we see last week? Last week, uh, Peter said something remarkable about the church's identity. He called them sojourners and exiles. And what we looked at last week, uh, the, the theme woven throughout the New Testament we saw last week is that Christians, thanks to Jesus Christ, we the church are no longer of this world. Our redemption was, out, was, was salvation out of this world and a transfer of our citizenship from this world to our citizenship now being transferred to citizens of heaven. So that's where our citizenship lies, Philippians 3.20. So Jesus Christ has saved us out of this world and we've been set free from this world. So listen, if you tell the first century church that, which Peter did, because it's true and it's right, it's the gospel, and they're facing horrific oppression and persecution and are living in an authoritarian state, the temptation that would easily arise with that is sweet. I'm no longer a citizen of Rome, right? Hashtag Rome ain't my home. Hashtag not my emperor anymore, right? Hashtag not my emperor. Oh, why? Because I'm with Jesus. I pledge allegiance to King Jesus. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. So therefore, I don't have to be a good citizen. So I'm not going to pay my taxes to that madman in, 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 in that position of authority today. He's an evil man. I'm not going to pay my taxes. And in fact, I'm not even going to obey, obey the speed limit. You know, in fact, I want, to, I want to amp up the horsepower on my chariot from two to three horsepower. And uh, in heaven, there's no speed limits. So I'm not going to obey the, you know, I'm not going to be a good civil servant because I'm no longer of Rome. I'm of heaven. Okay, that could be the temptation that arises. And it goes a step further than that because, because early on in the first century, uh, there was this movement amongst uh, 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 Jews of the time. It was called the Zealot Movement. It was essentially a terrorist, an insurrectionist movement uh, uh, to, to lead a violent revolt against Roman oppression. One of the disciples, Simon the Zealot, that doesn't mean he just had zeal for Jesus and zeal for the Lord. It meant he was kind of a, a, an insurrectionist a violent one that, that left his terrorist, insurrectionist ways and, and followed Jesus. And the zealot movement actually ushered in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD as they tried to violently overthrow Roman rule. And you better believe Christians that are facing persecution under Roman rule are going to be tempted to pick up their swords and start going to war against their oppressors. And in complete contrast to that, the author of 1 Peter thought that's how the kingdom of God should operate after Jesus uh, uh, was, was uh, approached by the governing authorities in the land after he's praying in the garden. He's, Jesus is about to get arrested. What does Peter do? Peter's packing heat, right? He's packing heat, and he lobs off a dude's ear. And Jesus heals the guy's ear. He says, Peter, you put away that sword. My kingdom is not going to be advanced through violence. That's not how my kingdom is advanced. The most dangerous weapon in the kingdom of God is love, Christ-like love. That's how you change the world. That's how you usher in my kingdom. Put away your sword. Peter, the author of this letter. I hope he had his concealed carry permit. Anyways, uh, 
So in contrast to a violent revolt, which would be the temptation when we, when we lose our citizenship here and we're citizens of heaven, he says, church, given your new status as sojourners and exiles, your new freedom in Christ Jesus, don't use your freedom to dishonor and rebel and disobey the governing authorities. Rather, place yourself in voluntary subjection to them. Verse 16, live as people who are free, because we are free in Jesus Christ. Amen? Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Living as servants of God. That's what true freedom is. True freedom is having a, a much more gracious and kind and compassionate master called the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And now we have the freedom to obey him. Martin Luther uh, has a uh, famous quote. He says this, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian, and then he goes, next sentence. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Right? We have been set free uh, because of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and now we're called to serve. Right? Philippians 2, that's what Jesus Christ modeled for us. The king leaving his throne to serve and give his life as a sacrifice for others. And so this theme of submitting to governing authorities, um, I want to I trace this because it's woven throughout the New Testament. Oftentimes, if we, if we have something that kind of uh, doesn't sit well with us in the 21st century, we can, we can, we can just say, oh, this is, this is just one instance of this in Scripture, so we can kind of, uh, you know, wash it away. It's not that important. We can, th- this is actually a mega theme in the New Testament. It's a pretty massive theme. So uh, journey with me through these texts. Titus 3, 1 through 2. Paul writing to his church planner. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. And then look at that submission and that obedience uh, uh, hitched to good works, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. And if I were at, uh, at a 21st century application to that last, uh, last line there, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people uh, that is not contingent upon their political beliefs. Luke 20, 22 through 25. Jesus, talking with some some very religious people who are always trying to test him and catch him in a trap. Is it lawful, Jesus, for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? This was the animosity of the people of God at the time of Christ. How should we, if we are under oppression, give tribute and taxes to Caesar when he is evil? But Jesus perceived their craftiness, and he said to them, Show me a denarius whose likeness and inscription does it have. And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Pay your taxes, pay your tithes, right? First Timothy 2, 1 through 3. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may live a, live a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. This is good. And it's pleasing to God, our Savior, pleasing in the sight of God and our Savior. Romans 13, 1 through 7. It's the last one before we transition. Romans 13, one, oh, sorry, Romans 13, 1 through 2, and then I'm going to talk about 3 through 7. Watch this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 
Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. So why should we as Christians obey authority? And the simple response, what we see in there in Romans 13 and what we're looking at today, is because all authority finds its uh, origin in the author of life. All authority is a derivative of the authority of God. All authority is derived from the authority of God. That's what Scripture teaches. All imperfect human institutions come from uh, the, the perfect God, okay? And First, uh, first Peter 2, uh, 13 through 14, be subject for the Lord's sake. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So what this means is that biblically, there are human institutions ordained by God as a gift of common grace that are for our good. And we are to honor those institutions and, and subject ourselves to them. And this is throughout the New Testament. We see that uh, the family is God's idea. Kids are to obey their parents. That is honoring to the Lord, to obey your parents. Uh, we're going to see this. I get to preach on this text next week. Servants, obey your masters. Employees should be good uh, uh, employees to their employers. Church members, we're going to see this later in 1 Peter, are to submit to their church elders. And then guess what Jeff gets to come back and preach? Jeff, if you're watching this, uh, I don't know if you know this yet, but here's a heads up. Give me a couple of week heads up. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, that's the text that Jeff gets when he comes back from sabbatical. Welcome back, Jeff. Here's your text today. Wives, submit to your husbands as the weaker vessel. So you better start prepping for that one, right? But that's, that's what we're actually seeing over the next couple of weeks. Peter's talking about here are these uh, God-ordained institutions that we're to place ourselves in subjection to, and that the authority in those systems comes from God himself. This is what uh, R.C. Sproul says. The difficult business of civil obedience is complicated further by Peter's statement that we are to obey the civil magistrates that Christ might be glorified. How is Christ glorified by my obedience to my employer, my parents, or to the government? Remember, remember that there is an authority structure in the universe. The ultimate authority rests with God alone. All other authority in the universe is delegated authority, derived authority. So if I refuse, if I keyword, for no just reason to submit to the authority of my employer or my parents or my teachers or my government, ultimately I am in defiance of God and I become a participant in lawlessness, which is the spirit of the Antichrist. We are called to obey God and by obeying civil magistrates, we show our spirit of submission and obedience to God himself. We pledge allegiance to Jesus. That's why we submit to and obey our, the, our, our governing officials, okay? It's out of honor and obedience for Christ that we do that. So what we see is that God has established such patterns of authority in our world for the orderly functioning of human life, and it both pleases and honors God when we subject ourselves to them rather than revolt and rebel against them. Therefore, the Christian posture of subjection and obedience to civil authorities is an issue of obedience to God. It's an issue of obedience to God. Mark Dever, pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in D.C., has said this. And this, I, when I came across this quote, I was kind of staggered. I was like, what in the world? And then I thought about it. And it made sense. He, said, he says this, almost any government is better than no government. Almost any government is better than no government because no government is pure anarchy. No government is absolute chaos and pure anarchy. And so what we see here in Scripture is government is seen as an imperfect extension of God's perfect, just rule over the world. 
And when, uh, when this is administered justly and correctly, evil is justly punished and righteousness is rightly rewarded. Romans 13, 3 through 7, okay? Watch Romans 13, 3 through 7. Three times in Romans 13, 3 through 7, the Apostle Paul talks about governing officials being servants and ministers of God. This is what he says. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Our governing officials are servants of God for the good of society. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He, for he is a servant of God, watch this, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Our governing officials administering the justice, the just justice of God, punishing evil and rewarding righteousness. Verse 5, therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. If we saw our, our governing officials, our elected officials, uh, our first responders as servants of God, I think it would change our, our language, our heart posture. This is in God's word, okay? And he continues, verse seven. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owned. So what this clearly articulates, what Paul is saying here is that um, our governing authorities, when administering correctly and rightly the justice of God, are they're God's servants administering his justice. And so I don't think it's a, a stretch here where Paul is talking about um, governing officials in, in first century Rome enforcing the law to take a leap and talk about 21st century law enforcement in our nation. Okay? And so I have a family member, I have a couple family members who were or are law enforcement officers. And uh, one whom I dearly love is a follower of Jesus, like, like big time, like loves the Lord. And um, I just want to go on the record and show you an example of how the police, right, can be servants of God administering justice, God's love and justice and compassion, okay? And so during this year, this happened in the midst of all the civil unrest, he's on his uh, way to work. And I have to be careful of, uh, the, like, my family, we've all had to change our names on Facebook due to threats against our family because of our association with, I was tempted to, I was joking with this family member to say, I'm going to change my Facebook name to Nick, not, ha, Nick who has no association with police, Mudrizo is my official Facebook name. Anyways, well, now it's on social media. Anyways, don't care. Um, on his way to work, not at work, on his way to work, sees a... Um, a boyfriend physically assaulting his girlfriend, verbally and physically. Pulls over, makes the arrest, calls uh, his other police officer, officers who are on duty. They arrest the guy who is, who is physically assaulting someone not as strong as him. That's, that's wrong. That's wrong. So God's justice, servant of God, shows up, uses uses power and authority for good. We understand that power and authority, yes, can be used for evil. We've spoken out against that from the pulpit, right? And whenever people are given power, that power and authority can be abused and it's evil and we should speak out against that. But also power can be used for good and for human flourishing. So authority comes and enters the scene, a servant of God, makes the arrest, threatening his own safety, makes the arrest, 
And then everyone leaves, and, and this family member of mine is standing there with a woman who's sobbing, tears, and, and is all shaken up. And he's able to compassion. He's not proselytizing in uniform. He's able to speak words of truth. And he says, do you realize how valuable you are? Do you realize how precious you are? He's saying this. Do you realize you deserve to be treated so much better? You're, you're worth so much more than that. What enters the scene there? God's justice and God's compassion. God's justice and his love. Okay? I just want to go on the record and give it an example of what it looks like to have a brother. We have brothers in Christ who are police officers, right? And so we honor them today and we thank them for that being a good example. Not an evil, horrific example that we've seen in the news, but there's good examples out there that are, not, are happening not too far from where we're at, okay? So, so Romans 13, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the enforcers of law in the fourth, first century, uh, we can talk about them in the 21st century, they are servants for our good, okay? When they're, when they're uh, justly administering the just justice of God. And so the question that everyone is asking is this, what if the government is commanding that which is evil, right? And this is what R.C. Sproul says. Principle number one is that we should obey the civil magistrates. And, but principle number two, which balances it, is that we must always obey God. If there is a conflict between what the civil magistrate commands and what God demands, it is our moral duty to disobey the civil magistrate, R.C. Sproul. And a great example of this, we went through a sermon series on Daniel a little less than a year ago, and um, Daniel was a Hebrew exile. He's pretty much kidnapped from his hometown in Jerusalem and taken into Babylon, and he was a great civil servant in Babylon. Daniel and the other Hebrew exiles uh, listened to the prophetic word given by Jeremiah. It said, seek the welfare of the city, and in, it, in, in its welfare, you will find your own welfare. So Daniel and his friends rise to high positions of political influence in Babylon and are great servants of the king and of uh, the, 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 the foreign soil that they're on, the foreign government. They're not citizens there. They're Hebrew men, but serving Babylon faithfully. But we see that there's a line where Babylon can only come so far, okay? Because their allegiance is pledged to Yahweh. And what we see, you all all know how the story goes with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they're they're called to worship the emperor of their day, they say, "I'm I'm not bending my knee. And they were thrown into the fire. Did they violently revolt? No. And then you see with Daniel, right? Tell me not to pray, I'm going to keep praying. And then he's thrown to the lion's den. And then, and, then, and then what we see there, what we see with that is that submitting to our governing authorities is, is an act of faith in God, is a leap of faith and trust in God. And Jesus, we're going to talk about this next week. Jesus modeled this for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. Our salvation came about through Christ's submission, right? And so... Um, what does this look like then for us today? I know everyone's asking this question. I found a really good, really good um, quote that I want to share. It's kind of long, but it's worth my time here and our time here today. And then I'm, I'm slowly wrapping up with this. But how, are we, how can we honor the emperor and be in subjection? How can we obey this command and yet also speak out civilly against uh, the injustices in our land, systemic racism, and cry out for the rights of the unborn? Scott McKnight uh, has a very uh, good quote here. I'm going to read it at length because it shows us in a democratic republic how we, we, can be, we as the church can be agents of, uh, of redemption in our land um, through civil disobedience, okay? And this is what he says. 
The Christian is to be obedient to the structures of society and to live within those structures. But such obedience at times may involve a justifiable disobedience that remains within the governmental structure. Okay, So to be specific, Christians may protest at abortion clinics, and the Constitution gives them that right, but they may not protest in a way contrary to the policies governing such behavior, as when a self-proclaimed justice warrior murders a doctor as a form of protest. Civil disobedience remains a right within the governmental policies of most Western democracies as legitimate social behavior. Some acts of civil disobedience are even perceived by society as a good thing, enabling the Christian to be both insubordinate yet within the parameters of good behavior. This is what he says. In fact, in fact, a good many of modern conventions of social expectation were originally established as law in the United States through the actions of those who acted in some kind of civil disobedience. One can think of women's suffrage and rights to vote and the elimination of many barriers to racial, racial equality. The impulse, watch this, the impulse of these movements was largely the result of Christian disappointment and actions. Take the example of Martin Luther King Jr. We, we need only consider one of his speeches, perhaps his greatest, I Have a Dream, delivered from the Lincoln Memorial on August 28, 1963. This speech electrified the American public, solidified support for the civil rights movement, and helped change uh, uh, American and Western society for the good. And then he says, and he says, you know, my focus here in this commentary is not on civic pride and change, but on this, on this fact. This is what he's leading the argument to. But on the anchoring that King gave to his speech, the foundation, the anchoring that King gave to his speech. Watch this. From front to back, his speech was a biblically-based vendetta against injustice and a plea for justice so that society would be better. It's rooted and grounded in Scripture. But his mechanism for getting this material out was a massive act of civil disobedience in the face of a government that had turned its moral head away from the entrenched racial inequality that stood against the government's own constitution, guaranteeing equal rights to all. So in disobeying, in disobeying, watch this, King acted both biblically, he eschewed violence, and counterculturally. He acted biblically and counterculturally while he sought to establish biblical values in society. And I'll just read one, one more thing here. While it may be true today that such an overt appeal to biblical themes and verses would be accused by the left as imposing religion on the state, listen to this. It is nonetheless a part of our history that the civil rights movement was inspired in part by a biblically grounded sense of justice and love. Amen? Amen. So with that said, I think that's what it looks like to be good civil servants today. Is, is thanks be to God, we live in a democratic republic where we can be agents of redemption and cry out against injustice in our lands and do so this way. In verse 17, I'm going to conclude verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. To honor someone, to honor someone, 
means to prize them, to value them. It means to attribute worth and value and merit to a person. Why do we as Christians, why are we called to honor everyone? Because every single human being that is breathing air is made in the image of God. And they have intrinsic value and intrinsic worth, no matter if they're on the far right or if they're on the far left, no matter if they're, uh, I'm not going to trigger anyone. Anyways, it doesn't matter, right? We are called as Christians to honor everyone because we believe every person made is made in the image of God. Humanity is the crown jewel of creation. They are precious to God. No human being is trash. No human being is garbage. I did youth ministry for a while, and we play soccer at my old church, and something that was a common thing amongst the youth, I'm not trashing youth today, whatever, but as I was playing soccer, I am very bad at soccer, but one of the refrains that was, was spoken over me was that, Nick, you're trash, right? Nick, you're garbage. I, I, am, very, I am probably the worst soccer player here. Jen uh, was, is very good, and whenever we play soccer or basketball, it's very embarrassing. Um, side note, we used to have a membership at a gym where the mezzanine looked over the the court, and Jen and I, uh, every Monday morning almost, would drop the kids off at the daycare at the gym. We played basketball, and I would lose every game, believe it or not, because Jen's actually really good, so I can say that. Um, and at one point, there was a guy in the mezzanine with his phone out filming and recording the match. <laughs> and so I was like, Jen, we got to shut it down. I got I to do some pull-ups or something. All right. Where in the world am I in my notes? Okay. Honor everyone. Okay. So this is what I'm saying is that <laughs> no human being is trash. No human being is garbage, no matter what they believe. Church, our enemy is not flesh and blood, right? Every human being uh, is someone uh, beloved by God and someone that we get to love and share and talk the truth to and love. Jesus tells us what? Pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies. And so what I want to encourage us today as the church in, in, in where we find ourselves and the nation we find ourselves and August 23rd of 2020 in America, is even though the culture has lost civility and civil discourse, please, please, may we not. May we, may we not. May we value and honor everyone. So one, honor everyone. This starts in our hearts, where we need to pray for our enemies and love them and you know, political enemies or whatever. And it can maybe start on social media, right? Maybe some of us need to take a step back and get away from our keyboards okay, and, and honor those who disagree with us. And maybe some of us here, to be honest, after today, I pray the Holy Spirit convicts us, maybe some of us owe other people an apology as we have hurled identity slanders over them. You are X, you are Y. No, 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 you are made in the image of God, and I am not going to slander you. I am sorry, please forgive me. I disagree with you on this issue, but you are precious in God's sight, and I value your human dignity, okay? Honor everyone. What would that look like if that was a, a policy on, on social media, on Twitter and Facebook today, right? What, it, what, it, what would it look like if, if we did that? Love, and then what's the second command? Love the brotherhood. Everyone knows this, we've been, the church has been so divided, so divided, and Transit Church, I just want to challenge us with this. Can we love our blood-bought eternal brothers and sisters in Christ if they're going to vote different than us in November? Can we love them? Can we honor them? Can we serve them? Can we hang out with them? If they think differently than us on whatever the controversial issue is of the day, 
Can we pray for them? Can we love them? Can we befriend them? It says here, love the brotherhood. Love each other. Serve each other regardless of how they're going to vote in November or what their stance is on all the things I have listed in my notes that I'm not going to share. Next, we're commanded to fear God. Fear God. Worship God. Have reverence for God. Offer God. Not fear and have reverence for the emperor. What Peter is saying here is extremely controversial. He's saying, church, you never worship the emperor. You never declare the emperor as Caesar as Lord. There's one Lord and Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. So fear God. Fear God. We exist as a royal priesthood to obey him, to submit to him. And so basically, I think what this looks like for us in November, are we going to fear God enough to obey his command in 1 Peter 2, 17 in November, no matter what happens? with the next command, honor the emperor. There might be a change of the guard. There might be a not a change of the guard in November. Are we going, as, as a church, are we going to honor the emperor of our land, the president of the United States of America? Pray for him. Not rush to Facebook, right, after whatever happens and, and, and just, you know, rage passing through our fingers to our social media accounts. But maybe if we all took a step back, from screens, and spent time with Jesus and started to pray for and to love and to serve and to want to glorify God through Christ-likeness in our world. If the world needs anything right now, you know what shines really brightly in this season we're in? is Christ-like honoring of those in governing authority to us. We might disagree with them, and we're in a, we live in a society where we can civilly disagree. That's our right and actually our duty as Christians to civilly disagree where there's injustices or, or whatever, but we do that honoring the person and honoring the office, okay? So let's do that. Let's do that come what may in November because there's one king of kings who is seated on the throne, at the right hand of the Father, above all rulers and authorities and powers and dominions, and he knows what's going to happen in November, and he's not in the heavenly realms biting his fingernails about it. His kingdom, mark my words, his kingdom will advance across the face of this nation and this world, no matter who is in office in November. The church right now is thriving, is on fire right now, in a good way, Holy Spirit fire, in Iran. In Iran. Okay, I think we, we think too much of the help that we think we need, that Jesus needs from uh, governing authorities. We honor them and we submit to them, but we don't put our trust and our hope, our trust lies securely in our cornerstone. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you humbly, acknowledging our sin. Father, please forgive us for ways we have called humanity trash or garbage based off of their differing opinions of us because they, they're in the right or the left or vice versa or whatever. Teach us. Teach us, Jesus. Show us the way you see people. Teach us, Jesus, how to pray for those who are persecuting us as you did on the cross. Convict us where we need to be convicted and may that conviction lead to confession, acceptance of your forgiveness, and repentance. May your church shine brightly in this season. May we, 
may we throw aside all political allegiances that would stifle our obedience to you, Jesus, and obeying the crystal clear command in your scripture today. And so we honor the emperor today. We pray for President Trump. Heavenly Father, you're the God of all comfort. Would you comfort Donald Trump and his family in this season of loss? As his brother passed away and he's leading a nation in one of the craziest years of our lifetime and he's grieving the loss of one of his best friends. So would you just, uh, the God of all comfort, comfort Donald Trump and his family in this season? Bless him richly. Give him wisdom and revelation and how to unify our nation in this season, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for this nation, God. Thank you for the freedoms and the liberties that we enjoy, that we can be live streaming a a worship of you. We're declaring that, that the emperor isn't Lord, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and we're not getting arrested for it. That's a blessing. So thank you, Jesus, for that. So we thank you for America. We thank you for this nation, Jesus. And we pray that your kingdom, your justice, like a mighty river, would sweep across this land, and your kingdom of righteousness would come. And where there's injustice, it would be righted, Lord Jesus. And and we pray against any spirit of division and lawlessness, Lord Jesus. But may your church in this season rise up with the banner of Jesus and the better way that he calls us to live. So thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And you show us a much better way to live in our day and age. So we thank you for our governing authorities and those in authority over us, both locally and nationally, Lord. Comfort them in this difficult season. It's been a difficult season for leaders, God. Give them the energy and the power and the bandwidth they need to faithfully lead uh, and serve um, us in this nation, God. So we thank you for our nation and for those in authority over us. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that your kingdom come, your will be done, and that your name would be glorified in this nation and in our lives. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.